Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hello, and welcome to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. Today, I have Ashley Agnew from Centerpoint Advisors. Ashley and I have known each other for a number of years now. We work together very closely in the Financial Therapy Association. And Ashley is just an incredible person. She cares so much for the clients she serves, and she cares about the field of financial therapy, which makes her even extra special. (laughs) Ashley, welcome. Why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and what you do? Thank you, Ed. That was a very kind introduction. Um, So yeah, we met through Financial Therapy Association. And what I do is I bring financial therapy informed planning to the firm I work for, Centerpoint Advisors. And we are an RIA, so registered investment advisory firm serving high net worth and ultra high net worth clients. But we operate on more of a family office style. So what that means is we go beyond just the financial planning numbers and just the investment management, even though those are the base of what we do. But we're also having really complex financial conversations with families around transfer of wealth. What does that mean? And we do a lot of other things that you wouldn't imagine, right? So we always laugh and say, you don't buy an iPhone because it makes a great call. <laughs> you buy yeah, it for all right. the other things that it does. So while we, while right. I like to think our call clarity is really great, you know, we're also doing those other things that put time back into people's days. You know, we help pay the college tuitions. We help secure insurance, boat insurance, plan trips, purchase vehicles that keeps people out of the waiting line and, you know, back into their lives a little bit. Um, and in my role, I'm the director of relationship development. And what's really fun about working at Centerpoint in relationship development is that it's not a business development role. It truly is relationship development. And what that means is the client's relationship with their money. Wow. So can you define what it means to have a relationship with money? How do you (laughs) define that, I should say? So, you know, as we know, right, that's the financial therapy piece right there, helping people behave, act and think more positively around money. And it's such a taboo topic. And I'm sure as you go out through this podcast, if we had a nickel for every time that we said money's a taboo topic, right? But it's true. And dealing with high net worth and ultra high net worth clients, we're also on our fourth generation, right? So not everybody's there yet. So we're dealing with a lot of young professionals, college students too, and just seeing how their money stories come to life, right? The lessons that are learned through generations and how that transcends into adulthood is it really is sometimes like money's a family member, right? Something that can connect and disconnect families. So finding how that relationship works and helping people improve that relationship can really make a positive impact on their system as a family. So you use an interesting phrase, and I don't think I've ever heard it quite said this way, but money becomes a family member. Yeah. And it's funny because we'll hear people actually talk about it, the portfolio, and they'll say, you know, it's me, mom, in the portfolio. You know, that's what it is. It's it's us in the portfolio. Or they'd really talk about it as as a person, as a living, breathing 
thing ah, because they're uh-huh. so connected around it. And, you know, we have some families who have had a business in their family for many, many generations. And yeah. that's the only thing they connect over is that business, right? The only time uh-huh. they come to talk to each other might be that business. So a lot of dynamics come into play. Uh, wow. You know, it's funny because I'm thinking about the difference between uh, non-ultra high net worth or high net worth individuals where their relationship is often more with the job. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it sounds like it shifts, though, as you go up that wealth continuum to the family business mm-hmm. or the uh, wealth portfolio. Right. As the primary um, engine for their life, their financial engine, at least. And so whether you're earning hourly salary or in the family business or the family wealth, Mm -hmm. it's still this relationship with the money and how it comes through the the family. Is that what I'm understanding? It's true. Ed, And just how you said, you know, how people can become almost obsessive with their work, right. And how they value themselves as far as their professional status goes. There's no term for the workaholism in obsession with portfolios. You know, if you're living just off dividends, if you're living just off that portfolio, it can be just as easy to feel like you have to be micromanaging that piece of your life. You know, and it's very hard to trust people like a center point people, you know, in finance that can try to break down those biases a little bit to make good decisions. Wow. You know, and I think what you're really highlighting, it, it sounds like is the anxiety about money is carries all the way up the wealth continuum. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because we see those studies, right, where they say money only impacts happiness once, you know, until your needs are met. And then after, say, $70,000 of income a year, it all evens out. And it's true. You know, you see these different things. I work with a great couple and, and one of the wives was forced into her profession from her family. And it was very traumatic for her. Very, very mm-hmm. traumatic for her. Uh, a great, great profession, right? Like going through med school and everything. But it wasn't sure. what made her happy. So uh-huh. now she's dealing with this situation where she's not setting great boundaries with her kids, giving them everything they wanted because she doesn't want to make them feel confined at all. But in between this story, the money piece is woven through, right? Uh, because that what her parents wanted for her was it was just their deepest fear was for their kids to fail or you know and not be financially successful. They were you know immigrants and and all of that. And so now in her biggest fear is that her kids will have a bad relationship with money because they're forced to do something from the parents. So it's just I love working across generations to see that and let people know, you know, there are two ways to solve a problem or there are more than one way to solve a problem. Right. And just kind of taking the shame out of the money is, you know, those are the big discussions. Those are huge discussions to have. And I I, I was kind of imagining that like. Well, you were, and you were saying it is the immigrant family wanting better for their mm-hmm. themselves and the next generation. Yeah. And they put extraordinary pressure on the next generation to achieve and to do it in a way that's not reflective of their own autonomy, but really of what the family wants for them. Right. And they end up resenting that and then becoming quite permissive to the next generation. And then mm-hmm. do you see that them in doing that, they end up resenting the next generation? Sometimes because the kids maybe don't have the work ethic or don't respect the money. Sometimes, sometimes because the kids think about when your memories form about your parents and their work. It might not be when your parents were grinding it out. It might just be when they were reaping the benefits of the business, right? It might not be 
know, we, we work with several business owners and we have another who, you know, this husband and wife couple, they just, when I tell you, they did everything from the books to the baking, to the cleaning, everything for years, years, years. But then when their kids were, you know, say high school age, it was kind of on autopilot, the business, right? They were just going on the nice trips at this point and looking at the vacation homes and things like that. So when it comes to hand over the business to the next generation, all the next generation is seen as, well, mom and dad hire this person to do that. And they hire, but the parents, yeah. they still say, no, you have to get your hands dirty here. So right. it's very, very interesting to see how that comes into play with the attitudes. And, you know, a word we hear a lot is grit. You know, where's the grit? Ah, uh, yes. That's a very popular word right now, yeah. isn't it? The grit. Yeah. You know, there's probably some value to grit. You know, I think from a mental relational health perspective, I think grit kind of probably takes things to an extreme. You know, the other thing that I hear you saying, and I wonder if you see this as well, is kind of the other side of it is the absence of mom and dad because they're grinding and outgrowing this business. And so the kids are not emotionally connected to the parents. Mm -hmm. And, And then the parents become successful financially and they want to spend time with the kids, but the kids are like, where were right. you during my childhood? Like, well, and the kids can become resentful of the business. So you have you have almost opposite um, forces going at each other. You have the parents right. working so hard because all they want is their kids to have a better life. And they're building this business so they can just hand it off to the kids. And the kids say, right. wait, I hate everything about this business. I don't want any part of yeah. that. You know, you, right. that took me away from you. And then when that's the case, it becomes very difficult, you know, especially on multiple generations. We've had one case where the gentleman, the kid didn't want the business, fine. So he's going to sell the business because now he's getting to that point. And um, he just blew up sale after sale after sale, four o'clock in the morning, emailing the broker. Sorry, I can't go through with it. We end up having some conversations and he says, you know, this is the only connection I had to my father. I think this is the only reason he loved me is because I took this business over. I can't get rid of it. Wow. Dad's long gone, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, uh, but these relationships, as you see, just, just goes through. And the sale of this business would make his family want for nothing for a long time, right? Like this is going to be a good yeah. chunk of change, but it didn't matter. Right. And that's where the money and emotion connection comes in at literally any level. So did he have that awareness or is that something that you helped him kind of connect to as that pattern was unfolding and you were working with him and you said, yeah, that, that took many, many conversations actually with our entire team to get to, why is this not happening and bring his wife, getting his wife involved and, and all of that. Yeah. Well, that, but that comes right back to where we started this whole conversation, right? Ashley, as you said, the only way that the family knows how to relate to each other is to the business. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a relationship outside of the business with each other. Right. And so there's that legacy of like the bond is the business or the money, not actually a living relationship where what they, they have recreation together or they sit around and play board games or have family dinners <laughs> right. or have a shared uh, philanthropic interest or, you know, we talked about before this and we'll go here in a minute, but the shared family trip to Disney, which your family went on recently, right? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I guess really kind of the message for anybody that's listening today in part is if you're building a business for the next generations, are you also building a, a way of relating with your fa- your family members right. outside of the business to k- create some balance? Mm-hmm. And that can be really challenging in the grind of trying to grow a business. but. It can be really challenging with business and in the marriage or coupleship, 
right? So I've heard business owners say that after they, you know, they work so hard to get to this, this pinnacle event of selling the business. And then it feels almost like empty nest. The business is gone. What do we do every day when we wake up now? And that's how you get these serial entrepreneurs or these folks who sell businesses. And now they open up their own angel fund, right? Or their investor, you know, get on all these boards, overcommit themselves to boards because that's where they're finding value. And how we love to help is finding, okay, what are you doing because you're trying to fill a void? And what are you doing because this really brings you personal fulfillment? Because those are two different things. And and as you know, in dealing with couples and things that you see, especially surrounding spending and things like that, when you get into retirement and whether you sell a business or not, right, or not, like the culmination of any career, that what do Uh, I do now? What's my relevance? Those are big questions. They're huge questions and they're not answered um, just by hearing the question once. Right. You have to dig deep and there's a process that goes on the way. And that's why I'm curious, you know, how long have you been studying and looking at financial therapy and how has that really changed the way that you think about working with people and their relationship with money? So I've always loved organizational behavior and it was kind of a twisty path to get to where I am now. Right. So my undergraduate work was actually in marketing and Uh with minors in psych and writing, right. Psych and English. I just always loved how the brain works and always had client facing roles. And then I started with Centerpoint through when I was getting my MBA in global finance so that was 2013, 2014. And because I, I met with Jennifer, who owns Centerpoint, along with her brother, John, I met with Jennifer. She's actually a client of my sister's who owns a salon. And a woman is never as vulnerable as a Saturday morning with no makeup on. So I figured I would say, hey, you know, I, <laughs> I said, hey, you know, what? I'm in this finance MBA. I I love crunched numbers. I don't love crunching numbers. I like helping people. Can I talk to you? You know, can I buy you a cup of coffee once a month yeah. while I finish this right. program to see where my skill set might fit in? And she told me even better, come into the office and talk to everybody. And the yeah. culture at Centerpoint was, it was really an aha moment to see that uh-huh. finance doesn't have to be all accounting and harsh and cold. This was a group of people who really cared about what they were doing. So, you know, Long story long, I started working there in, in client-facing roles and advisory. And we would have these conversations, you know, and they're even in portfolio reviews or macroeconomic reviews. And the conversation would get so deep and so personal and so open yeah. that the clients would say either, oh, my God, I feel so great. I feel like I just talked to a therapist. Or, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. I feel like I just talked to a therapist. So Uh, (laughs) I said, you know what, we, to do this right by our clients and we would reassure them and try to normalize and say, that's fine. Money, this is entwined into so many parts of your life. So to do this right, to codify the skills that I felt came naturally because it's what I'm passionate about and to ethically be able to add, you know, informed financial therapy to the practice, I needed more education, right? Sure. So I, I started seeking out programs and I was ready to cut a check to Creighton. And I was uh-huh. on the, because they have a, uh, you know, behavioral finance out there. Right. And the guy said, he said, you know what? I'm going to be honest. In these conversations we've had, before you send your check to me, please just interview at Kansas State. They have a financial therapy program that sounds like it's really in your wheelhouse because you don't need the finance side of the education, right? I'm Series 65 licensed. Yeah. I've gone through all of that. My MBA in finance. And I'm so glad that he did. And it really was the first introduction of how welcoming the financial psychology and financial therapy community of professionals are. 
because he was like, you know what? I could take your check. I could take your money, but this is going to be yeah. a better fit. And, you know, keep me as a resource if you need me down the road. And I just thought that was great. So you're, you're really getting interested in financial therapy. You're looking at one program at Creighton and they're saying, Hey, this is probably not right. Kansas state might be a better fit mm-hmm. for you. They have this financial therapy program. So you go to Kansas state and you get going in their program. And what are some of those ideas that still just stick out in your mind as like game changers or, or, uh, mental shifts for you? So throughout the program. Yeah. Yeah. So just, you know, the systems theory courses were just amazing because like I said, we're working with our fourth generation of clients and yeah. just seeing how, you know, that idea of reaching a homeostasis, right. Of saying, you know what, you're in this because this is what's comfortable and this is what's going into the change cycle. All of those things really resonated with me because you could see how, okay, you might have this circle going on, but things are constantly getting thrown at the Ferris wheel. Right. And yeah. how, how are you going to handle it? And how does one family member's response change a perception or action of another? Right. And right. communicating that in the family system without the idea of right or wrong. Mm. So there was uh-huh. a line, I think it was in the mind over money book, and I'm probably going to butcher it. Right. But yeah. where they say you're acting exactly how somebody who has been through your experiences can be expected to act. Yeah. And I've slowed that line down in my head a lot. And it's helped me personally get through some things. And also working with clients, I repeat it several times. I'll say it, I'll pause, I'll yeah. say it again. You know, what does that mean to you? Because it's not just saying, I feel like when you say it at first, it's one of those, well, everything happens for a reason. Nobody wants to hear that when they're going no. through a bad time. They can right. say it afterwards when they tell the story. Right. But right. They don't want to hear it then. Not in that moment. No, definitely not. No, not at all. So just better navigating those conversations. You know, the courses really helped me find tools for that. And, you know, a like-minded group of peers and seeing why people are really here. You're not going through the financial therapy program at Kansas State or, you know, the the similar ones at Georgia, Creighton. You're not doing that because you have to get licensed in something, right? You're doing that because you you want to help people and you're genuinely interested in, in the field. So it was nice to have that peer support. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. You're not going through the financial therapy program at Kansas State or, you know, the, the similar ones at Georgia, yeah. Creighton. You're not doing that because you have to get licensed in something, right? You're doing that because you you want to help people and you're genuinely interested in, in the field. So it was nice to have that peer support. So before we started the show, you were sharing that you went on a recent family trip to Disney. I did. Things <laughs> didn't go quite as expected. And you had mentioned something about how your journey into studying financial therapy really helped you through that difficult uh, point in the family Disney story. Yep. Would you 
share a little bit about that? And Oh, yeah. sure. So every year in May, we take a, a family trip, you know, a big family trip. Last year, my daughter ended up really sick. And we were actually spent our family trip in, in three different hospitals. So right. the week I got home, I said, you know what? We're going big next year. That's it. Right. Yeah. So we booked the four days at Disney, the five days on the Disney cruise. Very excited. Planning for it for a whole year. So we're there. We're in Orlando. And I get an email about 48 hours before we're supposed to set sail. It turns out that my son was not vaccinated in time. He was 24 hours short of being able to sail. My husband did not take my son to get his vaccination on the day that I scheduled it. It turns out he took him three days later. So Disney Cruise Line says, nope, sorry, even though he's going to be in the clear that night, right? Right, Can't quarantine in the room, nothing. We can't let you go. 13 hours on the phone to see, you know, what our options are. Are we going to get our money back? Are we not? Are they going to push it? And, you know, my husband just came up to me after a very long time on hold and said, well, I love you very much. And I already knew the Uh, answer. (laughs) I already knew. I was like, we can't go, right? Because of vaccination. He's like, yeah, we, you know, we can't go. Well, I already called the hotel. We can extend our stay. What are we going to do? Right. Yeah. And my daughter's five, God bless her. She says, so now I have to tell her that you are not going to go on the Mickey Mouse boat. And she (laughs) said, you know, we're not going to get to go on the Mickey Mouse boat, honey. We're going to have to do something different. And she said, well, mom, we'll still have a lot of fun stuff to do. And we're still are going to be together. And I was like, Uh, you are now more mature than I am in this moment. (laughs) 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 And it gave a perspective shift. I'm like, you know, this is just, what are you going to do? You know, what right. are you going to do with all of this? She was absolutely right. And I just sat for a minute. I said, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to get a seltzer. You know, I'll, I'll be right back. I sat for a minute. I thought, okay, let me take a pause. What did I want to achieve from this vacation? Right? Mm-hmm. No matter where I was, what did I want to achieve? I wanted yeah. to spend unplugged time with my family. I right. wanted to open eyes to new experiences and, yeah. you know, have a lot of laughs along the way. Well, in this National Lampoon vacation that it was turning out to be, I was definitely getting all of those things. So, you know, after that, it it was fine. But I don't think after going through the mindfulness training that I've gone through <laughs> and yeah. the financial therapy piece, I think I would have been way more anxious for the rest of the trip. Uh, because it, it allowed me to put, okay, what am I looking at? Okay, we're going to lose some money here right or, uh-huh. or we're going to end up spending a little bit more because now we're you know changing the plan but i'm right. still getting everything that i wanted out of the trip uh-huh. and i still work hard and deserve a trip and for a long time that was really hard for me to say out loud whoa so say it again with confidence i love it yeah so i work hard and i deserve a trip <laughs> right well, yeah so that was, was like, this is all right that's really powerful to just, I really appreciate you sharing that. I work hard and I deserve a trip. And that feels like a big shift for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the culmination of all these skills and that, you know, for listeners, as they listen, they're going to hear many interviews. And the thing you're going to hear from most of the people that interview is in order for me to do this work, I've had to do it for myself too. Right. And that's a really big part of this. So, you know, if you're working with someone who's wanting to help you with your money, 
you can, I, I mean, I would encourage you ask them, have you done this? You know, mm-hmm. how, what's this journey been like for you? What lessons have you learned? How does that shape how you're working with me? Right. Because it does. And if you don't have someone that's looking at their own relationship and responses to money and family dynamics, boy, you know, it's going to be hard. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm imagining another family in the same scenario where the wife could have been bitterly resentful for the rest of the trip and yeah. it spoiled the whole family trap. And instead, it sounds like you, you work through all your different feelings that came up. Your daughter's cueing kind of got you to go through your process and you said, what do I really want out of this? Mm-hmm. And how can I still get it? And you end up having a wonderful time, you know, still with your family and, and walking away with cherished memories. Yeah. Yeah, we That's, were really lucky. We were we were lucky too that the kids rolled with the punches, and yeah. you know we end up doing a little bit more of the cheesy things that maybe what we wouldn't have done, <laughs> you know. The, yeah. But it it was great, and you know, having coffee with my friends afterwards, they're like, "Did you want to kill him? I hope he's still paying for that." Like, who wins with this punishment? <laughs> who? Nobody wins. He, you know, he said very. I'm, I'm very sorry for my role in this. Okay, you know that's. All's well that ends well, you know, that there are bigger things going on. Well, but I think you're really highlighting, you know, something that's so near and dear to me, which is that secure functioning in a, in a mature adult marriage. And, you know, no fault on your girlfriends, but they're, you know, that kind of automatic response of, I hope he's still paying for it. You, you've <laughs> got to be still so angry at it. That's not secure functioning. It's understandable if you have those feelings initially right. when something like this happens. Completely understandable. But if you stay stuck in that, it, it's like taking the own, your own poison pill. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and I'm hearing you say that, and it's it's so true. And something that I would love to study more are the ways that friends feel they're being supportive around money, because mm. even though they might not function that way, you see this a lot. And I can only speak to really you know female groups, right? Yeah, of course. Um, but where it's oh, I'm, I'm so mad because he did this. Well, go out and buy yourself something nice. You know, you you deserve and and just the way that they feel they're being supportive. It's this we have to say X Y Z to feel yeah. like we're you know. And I've seen a couple of things you know lately come across like news boards and things like that about friendship therapy. And uh, I wonder how that might might play out because the more that you know, you're bringing great awareness to relationships and attachment theory, and. Right. How does that work outside of just the nuclear family? And what parts of those relationships do you bring back in? Yeah, no, I think you, there's a lot there. and Because when we go from the family system that you talked about, which is that group of interrelated people biologically and legally, the next circle is the friendship circle. Yeah. And we often keep friends that reflect our own psychological makeup. Mm-hmm. It is big. And... Unfortunately, the reason why people come to professional therapists and don't go to their friends is because of the training and the mm-hmm. mindset difference and the approach and the knowledge and understanding. And so, yes, we may have really well-meaning friends. And I appreciate in the in the, the women's circle, well, you're entitled, go buy it, you know, tit mm-hmm. for tack kind of thing. Right, and, right. But that doesn't really help get to the deeper roots of the relationship functioning and patterning. They don't really take the time to understand what led to that, why... You know, I'm not going to analyze you and your husband and why he delayed going to get uh, the vaccine. But there there are likely some other things that were going on that yeah. were part of that process. Right. And, you know, that's for, you know, private therapy, not on the <laughs> podcast interview. But it's 
it is so important for people to know that there are more complex ways of understanding what's going on. And mm-hmm. retaliation is a very superficial way of yeah. dealing with money problems. It's guaranteed to keep the cycle of conflict going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, really, really powerful to think about that. Hmm. And, and that to, to that point, that's another great thing that came out of the training, right? And both with the, you know, the FTA educational series and the Kansas State and, and all of that is you don't realize that even though you're ready to talk about money, the other person might not be ready to talk about money. While somebody's, you know, chopping up, you know, <laughs> chopping up vegetables for dinner, yeah. they're going through a million other things in their head, they might might not be the best time to say, hey, I'm really concerned about, you know, this loan, or I'm really concerned about... And then getting to the root of why somebody may have reacted ne- negatively to it. So... What I love about being able to use financial therapy in our financial planning and advisory is, okay, dedicate the time. You you know what you're getting into here. You know what we're going to be talking about, right? Yeah. But it's okay to save some things, to put some things on the table until you are working with somebody that can guide the communication a little bit better. And that's not saying anything bad about your relationship. That does not mean that you're a poor communicator or that you don't respect your husband or wife or spouse, it means that you respect them enough to want to say these really important things in a safe way. What a powerful reframe. I love that. That this is about, I respect the relationship to do it in a safe enough way. And I think what you didn't say, but it's probably implied is I have enough self-awareness to know I may not do this well. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would rather go somewhere where I can be taken care of and you can be taken care of and we can get this out in a way that's productive for our relationship right. instead of relationship um, hurting or, or breaking down. Yeah, that's a really powerful point. I mean, when I ask my clients, like, why do you come see me? What's the value that you get? It's exactly that. You know, I want it to be like, Ed, you know so much. <laughs> you're a master of psychology and, you know, you're just so cool. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I wish they would tell me. But no, what they really say is that we know it's a safe place to talk about the tough things and that you're going to help both of us. And and that really is another part of that piece, you know, kind of time with the friendship or family there. Like seeking counsel from our family members or our friends often is biased towards the person that's asking or yes. sharing the story. And a really effective therapist or facilitator is going to be neutral I care about that both people and positive outcomes, but I'm not there to take sides or to judge and weigh whose case is better. Right. That's for the legal system. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother ball of wax. Right. But when you're working with someone that truly is impartial to the outcome and can just help the two of you explore it, it's amazing what happens and mm-hmm. how much closer couples end up getting over time around their money topic. Yeah. And, and when you say, you know, that, type of tit for tat and and retaliation type of relationship. Sometimes we do get people who come in and they're looking for a judge and jury. And that's just not our role. And that's what I think is so important getting back to the ethical considerations. So with, you know, financial therapy, you have some financial therapists like yourself that are amazing LMFTs, have the CFP, all that, but might be their home discipline and mental health. And then you have folks like myself who work within the financial services realm. So when we start to see 
those visits in office go beyond the finance and maybe be a little bit more towards trauma and that's where they come in. That's when we have to know, okay, we need to refer out to somebody who can get at the root of these more traumatic experiences that aren't surrounding money directly, that you can truly be in a safe, non-biased space because that's what becomes difficult sometimes too, right? You're the financial advisor, you come in, you know the big, you know all the numbers. So there's no... Yeah shading anything the bit yeah. see see look how much she spent on that what look, look at that like, okay those we can get through but when it starts to be you know well this is because you know some kind of abuse or something mm. that's when we have to know you know great folks like yourselves like to get them to an even safer space yeah and that's something that's so important right is for couples to know and recognize when do we need to get that professional help from a mental health professional mm-hmm. versus having a great facilitative counselor and therapist, right? Like therapy, what is financial therapy really is that helping you have an improved relationship with money and the mm-hmm. depth at which you need that varies for all of us, right? It is if you have a small sprain, maybe you can work with a financial therapist that doesn't have the deep mental health. But if you have like, you know, you're putting on an amputated arm and you're trying right. to get- <laughs> That's a great metaphor. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. And having some of that self-awareness of knowing if you grew up in a family where there was complex addiction issues Mm -hmm. or complex issues around emotional abuse and neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, those things warrant full mental health care. Mm -hmm. But often what's missing, and this is what's so beautiful about financial therapy, is they don't understand the role that money can play in all of that and adapting through it. And you know, so kind of on a, a tangent, but related, I think, is how many families do you think created wealth out of a sense of trying to heal trauma? Oh, boy. And that and that may be not just financial scarcity trauma, but like because they were physically abused by their a family member or sexually abused. And so they money because for many people, money can equal safety. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we see a lot of that and all different reasons, right? Either wanting to prove to a parent social group that they can do it or coming from nothing and building something from the ground or getting something, a business thrown at them that they had to take the ball and run with it. So, but either way, yeah, a lot of times it comes from a place of being afraid to fail or tying that professional success with their self-worth. Mm, so then how do people start to disentangle that? And is there a full disentanglement from self-worth and, and business success, financial success? What are I your thoughts? I think it depends on, you know, it's what do you want? What are you trying to accomplish here? Are you truly, you know, we have a, another great couple and the gentleman is saying, no, work is work. I was like, I'll work. Work is to make money. And, and that's why I'm there. But I want to do some great things outside of that. And this job allows me to do those great things. So this job allows me to, I go there, I put my head down, I do my work, I make a great pay. And then I can come back and I can coach my kids Little League and I can volunteer at, you know, at the food pantry and I can do all those great things. And then you have other people who don't feel like they're contributing to society through their work, then it's not a great job. So they're tying their worth that way to the professional piece, right? So, yeah. and we see that, you know, we're kind of having a lot of really hard conversations right now because we have these third generations of kids who are almost anti-capitalist, 
Because they don't understand how they got their family money. They just know they have a lot of money and they feel bad about it. So we have to disentangle all of that. I mean, talking down to their parents saying, I can't believe we're not giving half of our money away every month. He's like, you know, they have no concept on what it means to (laughs) run life yet. So there's there's that, you know, only want to work for charity, only want to work for nonprofit. And then you have the other folks who are, you know, head down and I'll I'll do my stuff afterwards. So trying to you're never truly disentangled, but you have to understand what's most important to you. And like I said earlier, what brings that fulfillment, not just filling a void. Right. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a big can of worms there. And I want to open it up a little bit more because it is, you know, we're going to talk about hard things on this podcast. And and I think specifically around the family process, when financial values become highly conflicted Mm -hmm. and you have the the wealth creating generation of the family and then you have the next generation or some part of the next generation that's antagonistic to the family wealth that's been Mm -hmm. created. And it may be based on values like, and I'm just making this up, like the family made a bunch of money in the oil industry. And now, you know, the next generation is like oil is bad in the yes. end of the world. <laughs> I'm being extreme, but it, something like that can happen, you know, on a number of different values based things. Mm-hmm. And it's helping families navigate that. Wow. I mean, I'm kind of stumped. I'm thinking like, Man, what would I do in that scenario? And I imagine you you're you brought it up. You see this. Yeah. Well, we have, you know, what what we find is a great tool as far as an investment standpoint are donor advised funds or DAFs. Yeah. So what a donor advised fund is, is you can basically front load the account. It's an investment account. Say yeah. you put twenty thousand dollars in this year, it's tax deductible twenty thousand dollars. But you can decide whenever you want when to gift out of that, when to grant out of that, or donate to charities. So sure. what we find is a good open door to teaching kids about family wealth, about investing, learning about their values. Is let's open up a family DAF. It's almost like a mini foundation, and with um, those monies, that's where we cut. We do good, right? Not saying that you're not doing it with other money, but we can really focus here. We can learn about how mutual funds work, how ETFs work, right? In a little bit of a safer right. space and still be giving. And the family talks about and has to, it's, it's almost like a stepping stone conversation, right? Yeah. Because they have to work through a problem. They have to come to a, to a deductive decision on where to grant money. And yes. you see how they work through that process. And then you can have bigger conversations like, okay. let's talk about estate planning. Let's talk about this trust that you might not have known about that now you know mm. about surprise yes. <laughs> you know, things yes. like that. but getting into that because the da- the DAF brings in a philanthropic part that really speaks to a lot of young adults now because we have so much more information these days right. so and and we have a lot more guilt and shame surrounding money because yes. of the highlights on the more awful things that go on in the world unfortunately but yeah so that's kind of a nice little stepping stone is let's get philanthropic let's really tie it to values and then find other ways that we can tie our money to values. But know that we still need to put food on the table and a roof over our head. Yes, right. Well, and that's where you can see people spend down family wealth very, mm-hmm. very quickly and and then end up with regret on the backside of it. Yeah. And this doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar inheritance. It, it can be at much smaller levels even. Oh, yeah. And so I think what I'm hearing you say, Ashley, is 
it's really important for the family to have a process where people can explore and entertain what does it mean to have money and mm-hmm. wealth? How does it work in society? How have I come to see that? How are my reactions to the family money trying to counterbalance maybe an overfocused and bring some, uh, some balance and, and the realities of being a human and wealth in society are, are complex mm-hmm. and being able to acknowledge that and create safety to, to talk through the, the balance and the tensions there is really a mm-hmm. big deal. Wow. Um, so much to think about <laughs> and yet it's, it's important to take the time to think about it and to know that there are people like actually out there that want to help families facilitate powerful conversations where money doesn't become a divisive topic, but a topic of unifying the family and giving them shared sense of identity. So powerful. Actually, as we're wrapping up this interview, is there one last piece of advice, guidance, or question that you'd love to leave people with? Uh, just to connect and reach out. And there's no question too small, no question too large. And if you feel like you're struggling at all or not struggling and want to stay feeling great about your relationship with money, reach out. And, you know, if you reach out to myself, Ed, you know, we've sent folks back and forth. If we don't know who can help or if we can't help or if we're not a fit, we'll know who is. And there's just some great resources out there. So just kind of swallowing the frog and reaching out, I think is the first step to having a better relationship with money. Absolutely. Ashley, thank you so much for your generosity of time and spirit. I'm so appreciative. If people wanted to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you? The best way for them to find me, they can always connect on LinkedIn. It's Ashley Agnew and I'm at Centerpoint Advisors or centerpointadvisors.net. We've got a contact form on there too and a little bit more information about my background. Great. And I'll make sure to put that in the show notes so people can find it easily and grab a link. And Ashley, until the next time we uh, talk, thank you so much. Thank you, Ed. This is great. And thanks for all that you do to bring awareness to this. This is excellent. Awesome. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money. Ed. Ed.